0: Welcome to Audiobook Test Drive. In today's episode, we are featuring an excerpt from No Quarter Dominium, Volume 4, written by M.J.L. Evans and G.M. O'Connor. Volume 4 of 6 begins as Port Royal suffers the aftermath of a destructive fire and a series of deaths. Intrigue unfolds with the public stabbing of a strumpet, new alliances, and more betrayals. crisp. Capitaine LaRoche and other refugees reach Dr. Strangeway's plantation for some much-needed respite, while the political stage heats up with the legalization of privateering and piracy. And now for your listening pleasure, an excerpt from No Quarter Dominium, Volume 4.
1: Aftermath Dawn brought intense hues of orange and gold, painting Port Royal in a warm glow. Hundreds of ships sailed in and out of the harbor, some docking for repairs, others heading out to sea. Billows of smoke rose from the bakehouses, covering the landscape in soft white clouds. Near Morgan's line, the large defensive wall on the south side of the city, a row of flags fluttered in the breeze. Adjacent the line of heavy cannons sat a quaint gated garden with stone benches. A young woman in an extravagant light blue gown sat staring at the sunrise. Katie Evans rubbed her tired red eyes from an action-filled night. She brought her feet up on the bench and hugged her knees. It felt like she'd been waiting for Royal Rook for an eternity. To her left at the scorched clubhouse in Henry's Loft, the corpses of Codface, Mike, and Pikestaff lay beside the wooden shed. She knew she had no choice but to go back to the Crooked Compass Tavern to collect her things. Perhaps Rook would track her down there, if he wasn't dead after the previous night's hunt for the elusive pirate, Gator Gar. Sunlight glazed the weather-worn buildings and crooked chimneys. The bells rang out at St. Paul's Church. Katie walked through the alleys and hidden corridors until she came to High Street, where the town crier and his drummer rallied the masses. The drummer banged for about thirty seconds before the town crier yelled at him to shut up. Next, Royal Rook's parrot, Checkmate, screeched overhead, For pity's sake, the choir yelled. Hear ye, hear ye. This be the morning news. Port Royal thwarts pirate attack. French pirates attacked the city. Dozens killed. He cleared his throat. Firstly, your government wants you to know that the slave auction was a huge success despite the health scare and pirate attack. Your investments are safe. A sigh of relief filled the air. The defense forces of Port Royal have thwarted the French pirate, Gator Gar, who poisoned the water supply. Secondly, Acting Lieutenant Governor Piper strongly urges all citizens and patrons to purchase new barrels of drinking water. A bounty has been declared of 60,000 pieces of eight on the renegade pirate Gator Gar. The town crier opened a broadside with a crude likeness for everyone to admire. Acting Lieutenant Governor Piper has vowed to capture Gator Gar and bring him to justice. This morning's news has been brought to you by Strangeways' Soothing Wormwood Formula. If you're not hallucinating, it ain't Strangeways. A smile formed on Katie's face. Inducing fear always whipped the general public into a frenzy. Rook told her you could never believe the papers. Most of the time they only printed rubbish to distract people from the real issues. She turned down a passage towards the inner harbor. Beside the wary bridge... The Diamond Dog was docked and its crew readied for breakfast. Checkmate squawked agitatedly, perched on the ship's rail. Quartermaster Tiny McAllister paced the dock, eyeing Cope's Alley and Water Lane. This be a bloody unfortunate place, Tiny thought. The ship's sailing master, Quinton Winter, approached from the street. Winter was in his mid thirties. He was not as battle scarred as the rest of the crew but he had one rather impressive scarf from a cutlass that ran all the way down his left arm. No sign of him. He never went back to the Swiftsure. Winter's look of concern grew. Nor the crooked compass neither, added a russet-skinned crewman called Snapper. What about the girl, Winter asked. Any sign of her? Tiny shook his head. Katie, not since last night, if she's still alive. A cloaked man approached hurriedly. Tiny recognized the newcomer. Theo? Binge pulled back the hood. Tiny? Quint? What be your business here? I was hoping he was here. He ain't at the infirmary at Fort Carlisle. Binge swallowed hard. He was shot in the head. Tiny clenched his fist. Who shot him? Binge winced. I did. We was on opposing sides. Tiny folded his massive arms... Bloody Port Royal. Bloody unfortunate business. Checkmate shrieked and took off to perch upon a roof along Thames Street. Below her, two militiamen pushed a cart with a body on it. That be him, I suspect. Tiny charged forth. You there, stop, he thundered. Let me take a look. He lifted the white sheet to see Royal Rook's body, blood oozing from his left eye. Winter inspected the body. My God, Tiny! Tiny! He's still alive. He needs a real doctor. I know a doctor. A good one. I'll go get him. Binge took off. Right, let's get him aboard. Tiny lifted Rook as though he were no heavier than a feather pillow. It was mid-morning when Cherry Banks arrived at Strangeway's apothecary. She kept her injured arm tucked in beside her and rang the bell. She wondered if it had been worth it, or if the retribution would be worse. It was only a matter of time until Art discovered her involvement in last night's chase around the city. With the Capitan gone, she felt more vulnerable than ever. Strangeways opened the door. Ah, Cherry, good to see you. He noticed her frown. My dear, whatever is the matter? Cherry cradled her arm. Got grazed by a shot last night. Oh my, let me take a peek. Come inside. I was just about to have some tea with Kirschwasser. Would you like one? It'll take the edge off the pain. Sounds good to me, Doc. Cherry followed him inside. In the parlor, a fire blazed. Cherry sipped tea while the doctor wet her sleeve until it loosened. Next, he cut away the fabric. Sorry about your dress. This may hurt a bit. He peeled the cloth away, revealing an oozing, bloody gash. It's going to need stitches. In the meantime, I'll add some laudanum to your tea. Liquor and laudanum mingled in Cherry's empty stomach, making her feel like a rolled-up piece of carpet slumped in the chair. Her arm was tended too quickly, and soon came the last stitch. A few more drops of laudanum, the doctor offered. I'm quite fine, thank you. She spoke in a slow, deep drawl and leaned against him, slipping her good arm around his waist. I can't thank you enough. Her cheek pressed against his belly. I'll give you a care package, something to clean it with, and a bit more laudanum. He patted the top of her head. You're showing signs of shock. You need to rest. Cherry looked up. Have you seen V since last night? I had the pleasure of her company early this morning. She left to see her captain off. Personally, I'd rather she stayed in bed to get some rest, but you kids know best. She's a grown woman, Cherry acknowledged. Her captain's leaving then? Strange ways massaged his temple. Preparing to sail as we speak. Going after Laloon, I suspect. You need to relax, Sander, or you're gonna drop dead. Cherry ran her finger over his lips. I'll be needing more of the poison. Oh? I'm gonna finish this myself. Alone? That's not a good idea. Give it time. Cherry's eyes widened. Why not? Her hand brushed against his hardening manhood. Oh, ye of little faith, we almost made it. The Capitan even said all or nothing. Take them all out or they'll come back at you. I see your point. He gazed down at her cleavage. Well, I'm afraid I'm out of the belladonna. She unbuttoned his trousers. I could whip up some penny royal oil for you. That should do the trick. Yes, whip it up. That should do the trick. Cherry's mouth moved against him. Under a state of shock, you you could have side effects, the doctor grunted. Uh, Of course, there is a risk of lockjaw. He gasped while her tongue tantalized him. I wouldn't want to end up like Burghill. He grabbed the edge of the chair and she became more aggressive. Only a small chance, though. Normally someone in your condition should be resting. Oh, you are so good at that. Well, as it is, you shouldn't rest with that high a dose anyway. A good polishing might do us both some good. Go ahead and get it all out. The back door to the apothecary creaked open and Binge called. Hey, Doc. Footsteps approached the parlor. Shit, it's like walking in on your parents. Thanks. Cherry collapsed back into the chair. But I'm glad you're here, Doc. Binge averted his eyes while Strangeways buttoned his trousers. I was almost glad I came, the doctor retorted. Moral Rook's alive, Binge blurted. Katie's Rook? cherry said he's been shot in the eye Strangeways grabbed his medical bag and looked at cherry i should like a follow-up appointment later but truthfully you need rest i want you to have some of the tea i've left for you and go to bed cherry waved him away i'm fine really don't forget you need rest too yes well you know what the christians say about the wicked the doctor smiled briefly and the two men left cherry crushed herself against the chair Damn, he survived. Good shot that was. The Inferno room inside Bleeding Art's mansion acted as an operating room in which a thin, balding doctor shook horribly while stitching Dr. McCaskill's arm. Dr. Sober was chronically drunk, and the type of surgeon you'd only hire if no one else was available. McCaskill winced, grinding his teeth through another stitch until the thread was tied off. Art was sprawled along the large couch, watching the procedure. Where the hell are they? He rubbed his dislocated right arm reflexively, causing himself to recoil. You only sent for them ten minutes ago, McCaskill said. It's not like we got a work shortage going on. Why are you first? I'm dying over here, Art snarled. Because I can't very well help anyone with my arm spewing like a whore on church day now, can I? It don't make sense. Why now? How could she? Art pouted. McCaskill coughed loudly. That's a fine job, Dr. Sober. Fine job indeed. He looked down at his partially bandaged arm. A drunken parrot could do better work. I can manage from here, doctor. Thank you. Sober looked over the spectacles hovering on the tip of his nose. McCaskill took a coin bag off the table and handed it over. Any time I can be of service, gentlemen. Sober put the money in his pocket and gathered his tools. "'Good day to you,' he opened the door and saluted. "'Long live King James!' Art saluted with his good arm. "'Aye, long live King James!' Jag Jane entered. "'Arrow coming in!' McCaskill grabbed a large bottle of rum. "'That's why you named it that, ain't it? "'So you could hear Arrow coming in!' "'He smirked, headed right up your arse "'if you're not careful.' McCaskill signaled Jane before removing a mallet "'from his medical bag. "'Come here, boy!' What about him? Jane indicated Scarcliffe, who snored with his head pressed against the wall and his legs dangling over an armrest. Is he breathing? Yeah? Good. Let him sleep. I'd like to sleep myself, Jane grumbled. Is it my turn now? Art asked. Hate to trouble you. He dropped into the chair by the table. You'll be wanting a big old shot of rum, the doctor handed the bottle to Art. Art took a swig and braced himself. Don't you got anything stronger? Do I look like strange ways? Come on, you wimp. Be gentle. It's me first time. Art grinned and lay his arm on the table. Try to relax. This might sting a bit. What's the mallet for? Just in case. In case of what? In case you get on my nerves, the doctor snapped. If the bone doesn't want to pop back in place, I'll have to force it. Now shut up and let's do this. He shoved a piece of biting leather in between Art's massive teeth. Ready? The doctor twisted and jerked the shoulder back into position. Fucking ow! Art gnawed viciously on the leather, tears escaping his eyes. The shoulder popped. There, that wasn't so bad, was it? Like setting a mast. McCaskill slid Art's arm into a cotton sling. You know where you can stick it. Art took another mouthful of rum. Careful, laddie. Any sign of discoloration, I'll have to cut it off. I might anyway, for all the shit you put me through. The doctor took a drink. Take it easy on that arm a while. Scarcliffe stirred and released a dull groan. Good morning, sunshine, McCaskill said, raising the rum bottle. Gatorgar and Cherry couldn't have poisoned them all, not with just the two of them. Why would Cherry be helping him? Jane asked. That don't make sense. Unless it's the other way around, he's helping her, McCaskill mused, eyeing Art. She must have found out why Slasher Al is here. I told you what would happen if Cogsall hired that bloody maniac, and now you've got one of your own pulling the same shit. Jane leaned over the table. What am I missing? His face twisted to a frown. The full frontal lobe, McCaskill bellowed. You know who I'm talking about. "'That ginger is rock brasiliano all over again, "'and that's the last thing we need in Port Royal.' "'He glanced at Jane. "'Well, boy, you're gonna get invited to more meetings now. "'Cogsall hired Slasher Al to get rid of the competition. "'You was gonna let him kill Cherry's girls?' "'Art looked guilty. "'Not the little tart you fancy, but most of them, "'until you, Captain Cunnilingus, came to the rescue. "'We've got to get a handle on the syphilis problem in this city.' mccaskill reasoned bullshit jane roared cherry's girls ain't got no siffles the cleanest in town they is he shook his head in disbelief what happened to the vote the votes for show kid get your head out of the clouds art advised here's what we're gonna do jane's gonna go pick up cherry and bring her here this evening mccaskill burst out laughing good thing she'll come quietly he put his hand on his hip and stuck out his rear Sure, Art. I'd love to get killed. Of course I'll come quietly. We want her to think she got away with it, Art said. She can lead us to Gator Gar, Scarcliffe added weakly, barely able to lift his head. Art nodded and pointed. There, someone's thinking. He drummed his fingers on the table, and then eyed Jane. I bet she'll play it cool. Don't let on that we know. Tell her I'm hurt, and I need her to run the payroll. She's done it before. She'll go for it but tell her I need to see her. Can I sleep? Jane moaned. Aye, if you must. Lazy-arse kids. Art huffed. Edmund Cogsall peered down at his father's body in a wooden box. In the coffin beside him was Burghill. Both men had been cleaned up and dressed in fresh suits. They appeared to be only napping. More bodies were laid on the mortuary floor sheriff Tellum's crushed bloody remains had been scraped up and deposited in a casket the lid closed stinger shipwash and two slave buyers were stacked in the corner the coffin maker growled with dissatisfaction hammering loudly edmund remained silent and lit up a cigar he wasn't terribly broken up it was inevitable given their family business what concerned him was the circumstances of the deaths and the sheer number of victims those who had been decapitated hadn't even been collected from the clubhouse yet. What's the true motive here? Am I next? The coffin maker sat down his hammer and handed some papers to Edmund. Mr. Talier dropped off new forms to sign. He needs you to confirm that this is the body of your father. There's a pen and ink on the table. Edmund signed and dated the parchment. The front door chimed and a cart rolled in with more bodies. Constable Blower patted his forehead while Beckford eyed all the cadavers. The newcomers included Ironclad, whose head clung to his trunk by a few ligaments, Stutters, Mike, and Pikestaff, their heads tucked under their arms. Where should we put them? Blower asked. With the rest of them, the coffin maker pointed at bodies in the corner. Cover them when you're finished. He tossed them a blood-splattered sheet. Militiamen unloaded the bodies. Blower cringed as one of the heads rolled towards him. The coffin-maker kicked it back into place. Blower gagged. Mr. Cogsall, sir, sorry for your loss. Thank you, Constable. Edmund glimpsed at two strumpets who had been mutilated in unimaginable ways. Father Parker Alcock arrived, wearing blue-tinted spectacles and a robe with a large wooden cross dangling from his neck. Well, oh, bugger me sideways with the Holy Trinity! He lifted the lid to Sheriff Tellum's casket. Blower took one look and heaved. God damn! And the Lord taketh away or something? Alcock coughed into his handkerchief. He had a run-in with the blue anchor, Beckford said. Alcock slammed the lid back down. Haven't we all? He saw Edmund. Sorry for your loss. I'll perform last rites, shall I? Edmund nodded. Very well. Beckford leaned over the two mutilated strumpets. When did these two come in? The coffin maker glanced over. Strumpets came in this morning, but they have been dead a full day at least. Two dead strumpets? Who cares? Edmund said. Gator Gar obviously didn't do this, Beckford stated. Well, they're not mine, Edmund spoke in a disinterested tone. Do you need anything further from me? Not presently, Mr. Coxall. We'll be in touch. Beckford replied. Blower leaned against the open doorway, sucking in the fresh air. This be all of them for now, unless Bleedin' Art's lieutenant comes in. Aye, the coffin maker said. Think you'll be needing more coffins? Aye, the coffin maker hammered violently. Beckford rubbed his chin. I want mute Katie arrested for murder and aiding a known pirate, along with her accomplices, Violante Hayes and those German strumpets. Aye, Blower agreed, straight away. Edmund handed the papers to the coffin maker and took one last look at the bodies. I bid you gentlemen a good day. A dark, shiny box carriage waited outside and its door opened. Mr. Cogsall, might I have a word? Edmund stopped in his tracks. Mr. Mayor? He cautiously entered, sitting on the seat opposite the mayor. The door closed and the vehicle took off casually down the street. My condolences, Mr. Cogsall. I'd like to help you get your estate back. Seems our business interests have become more or less intertwined. Your father's former business partner has seized control of your rightful assets. Well, you see, my businesses are also suffering under these crude social standards imposed by the previous government allowing pirates like Captain Valentine to soil the fabric of our society. We run our own shipping companies and don't need bleeding arts protection always wanting to do my part, sir. What is it you need from me? To fight fire with fire, as they say, though not officially on record. I'm sure your father has employed the services of Captain Slazzarelli, or as they call him in the taverns, Slasher Al. I've heard the name, of course. We would like you to employ Captain Slazzarelli in the name of reclaiming your family's birthright. If, for some reason, Acting Lieutenant Governor Piper chooses to award Captain Valentine a commission to protect Port Royal's interests at sea, it will open a door to commence raiding of enemy ships. We have a lot of business partners who would unjustly be deemed enemies. If this happens, our goal is to eliminate Valentine and divide his assets in the interest of protecting Port Royal investments. I will then return all of your family's assets and titles to you may be able to contact Captain Slazarelli, and since I would be the one to employ the pirates, it only makes sense that I collect a fee from the sponsors. Fifteen percent should suffice. The mayor knocked his walking stick on a side panel. You catch on quickly, Mr. Coxall. I believe our business venture will prove to be quite profitable. The vehicle pulled over in front of the mortuary. Edmund's man, Stevens, stood waiting with his carriage. Edmund opened the door to get out. We'll be in touch, Mr. Coxall, the mayor said, slamming the flap shut. Katie paused outside the parlor door in the crooked compass. She heard arguing from within. One voice was like a rusty nail scraping against a slate board. Mina Jacobs' mouth always spewed rank nonsense, and she was aptly called the Great Beast. Katie peered through the gap in the doorframe. Two other strumpets, Sierra Lee and Lucia Puskett, nattered on. But we're still under Bleedin' protection, right? Sierra Lee's voice heightened. Even if Coxell and Burgle are dead, right? I'd say all bets are off, Mina contended. Wouldn't you? Thanks to Chomps, we're on our own now. Lucia twirled her hair. What are we going to do? Sierra Lee shrugged. Go independent? We'd be cut down in a day, Mina's anger grew. Or work for Cherry, Lucia proposed. She got protection. Not no more, she don't, Mina scowled, watching the door. Ah, there's the little songbird. Katie entered on the defensive. Katie, tell me you had nothing to do with it. Sierra Lee immediately realized her mistake and covered her mouth in embarrassment. Mina lunged forward. This be all your fault. You couldn't leave it be. You had to bite off the cock that feeds you. Katie's defensive impulse got the better of her, and she pulled out a bodice dagger and grabbed Mina. The blade grazed the soft, dirty skin just enough to leave a fine red line. Hmm? Hmm? Katie growled, feeling Mina tremble. Oh, Katie, don't do it. We be friends here, Sierra Lee said soothingly. Katie stared daggers, pushing the blade a little harder against Mina's skin. Katie, she didn't mean nothing by it. Now get off her. Katie retracted the blade and ran upstairs to gather her things. She stuffed a large satchel with a nightdress, stockings, and a worn copy of Romeo and Juliet that Rook had been using to teach her to read. Through the window, Diamond Dog sat anchored at the wary bridge. With her bag in one hand and her blade in the other, she left the room. She heard Mina's angry footsteps in the hall behind her. Katie passed Salty Sally, a skinny brunette with several teeth missing. So do you swallow or spit? Sally asked. Sally and Katie laughed. Hate to shit in your bowl, but your sailor bow got his brains blown out last night, Sally said to Katie, who stopped in her tracks. Really? Mina smirked. Oh, yeah. Took a shot right in the eye, he did. Sally grinned crookedly. Katie's lips formed the word. No, it's not true. It can't be. She gripped her bag tightly. I sees them wheeling out his corpse just this morning. Right bloody mess they made out of him. Lucia ran up the stairs. Blower's outside. He's looking for her. Her eyes met Katie's. Mina charged down to let him in. I'll hold them off. You gotta get out of here, Sierra Lee said. Good luck, Katie. Katie fled down the slave stairs at the back and crouched behind barrels stacked in the alley. Militiamen searched the causeway. Diamond Dog was so close she could see the men on deck smoking pipes. Strangeways inhaled a lungful of marijuana smoke and passed the pipe along. Everyone wore blood-soaked clothes and grim expressions. Rook's surgery had been one of the more gruesome of his career. The shot had gone in through the temple and come out the eye. It was a miracle they'd been able to stop the bleeding. He'll live or die now. There's no other way to put it, I'm afraid. Winter cocked an eyebrow. Never thought I'd see a man's life saved by a red-hot marlin spike in the eye. The medical profession is like any other. Sometimes you have to use what you have, Strangeways said. Winter choked on a lungful of smoke, and something caught his eye. He pointed towards the causeway. That be the strumpet Rook fancies, ain't it? Katie signaled from behind a barrel. That is she, Binge concurred. Well, she is currently wanted for Burkhill's murder, Strangeways added. I better go get her. Prepare to make sale, Tiny called. All hands rushed to their stations. Strangeways looked to Binge. Then we best be off. Binge clasped the rail. I'm going with them. I gotta disappear for a while. You know that feeling the little fish gets when all the other fishes swim in the opposite direction? I got that feeling. Yes, it's called self-preservation, an old diagnosis. I myself am feeling a touch of what I call paralytis. The doctor shook hands. Perhaps it's best I don't know where you're going. All the same, Mr. Binge, a pleasant journey. Thanks again, Doctor, Tiny acknowledged. I'll add it to Mr. Binge's tab. Good luck, everyone. Be seeing you, Binge said. As always, our business relationship proves to be both beneficial and entertaining, though we may have gone a tad overboard this time. Yes, a tad, I'd say. Strangeways departed and headed towards the causeway. He slipped off his jacket and dropped it beside a barrel. Katie took it and draped it over her head. From inside the crooked compass, Blower bellowed, She's not here! Search around the building! Winter and Snapper wheeled a cart down to the causeway and loaded one of the barrels. Katie slipped into the back and hid by the cask. The men continued to the gangway just as Blower burst through the back door. Did she not come this way? He asked one of the militia men. Nay, not out this way. Then spread out. Strangeways loitered nearby long enough to see the cart successfully loaded onto the ship. Violante watched Relentless drift away from the north dock. Captain Richard Longstaff watched her from the rear of the vessel. Her heart leapt and sank simultaneously. It was unfair to be parted from him so soon. His image grew smaller and smaller as the vessel glided from the harbor. V turned and walked up Thames Street. She passed a watchmaker's shop and a produce stand where she purchased a mango. A sense of liberation came over her. She had loads of money. Perhaps she'd never have to perform services again. She could triple her gold at the Swiftsure. There was plenty of room at the big table. Or better yet, she could get her own room at the lavish Wild Orchid Palace, the former guest residence of the Duke and Duchess of Albemarle. As she neared Smith's alley, a strange man stepped out before her. His skin and hair was stark white, and his cold pink eyes bore into her. A dagger flashed from his sleeve, thrusting into the fleshy crevice beneath her arm and into the side of her breast. A scream was trapped in her throat until her instincts took over and she ran to the water. Help me! Somebody help me! Spectators spilled onto the streets, reaching Bird's Alley. V yelled at the top of her voice, What do you want of me? Blood soaked her dress and dizziness took hold. Her pace slowed as she came to a landing along the causeway. The attacker followed, lunging for her again with a dagger, but she hurled herself into the harbor. The cold wet embraced her and she tried to stay afloat. Shouts filled the air above. Someone called, Murderer! Murderer! Over here! A splash came a few feet away from V. She tried to swim for it, but exhaustion set in, and she began to sink. An arm slipped around her waist, pulling her towards the dock. Hands yanked her up. Beckford stood over V's body. What's going on here? Another strumpet's been cut, a man replied. Beckford inspected the injury. It's deep. She'll need to go to the infirmary at Fort Carlisle. Is that Katie the Swallower? Someone asked. Nay, said Beckford. It's one of Cherry's strumpets. V. opened and closed her heavy eyes. The people around her appeared distorted, and the pressure of Beckford's hand against her wound caused her to scream. A group of militiamen carried her to the infirmary. The semi-conscious nightmare continued as bitter laudanum was forced down her throat and a stitching needle punctured her skin. Raw, aching nausea swelled inside. Her eyes flickered to see a thin, balding man sprinkle her with a pungent substance. Scorching pain grew, and more liquid was forced down her throat. Art napped sporadically on the sofa, his injured arm propped on a stack of pillows. The flames from the fire purred. McCaskill slept sprawled in a big chair, while Scarcliffe spread over the short couch with the parrot Cupid pecking his head. A burbling snort came from the window seat as Jane snored. Art sighed. I swear I'm going to smother him. He sank back into the sofa. Nay, eh, that would mean standing up. The wheels of a carriage thudded along the gravel path outside and came to a halt. Haughty voices permeated the property. Everyone in the Inferno room woke, drawing their weapons. The bloody wigs are here, Jane said, wiping his drool off the window. Art rose delicately to look out. Hymen and the Huguenots, what do they want? McCaskill yawned. To stitch a great Dutch wig to your arse, that's what the doorbell sounded. "'Arthur Valentine, open up in the name of King William of Orange,' Piper called. "'Well, I'm bleeding art of red, so let me bloody sleep.' "'Oh, fine, go let them in,' he gestured to Jane. "'Where is Captain Valentine?' Piper demanded. "'I wish to speak with him immediately.' Jane guided the Whigs to the Inferno Room, where they were immediately irritated by a wall of heat. "'The Honorable Acting Lieutenant Governor Piper to see you, Captain.' Ah, the Whigs over Port Royal. What can I do for you? Art asked. Why wasn't I notified of the pirate attack immediately? Art raised a rum bottle. Consider yourselves notified. Good day to you, acting lieutenant. Mold advanced. Tell him was killed. Did you know that? Aye, I lost plenty of good men meself last night. So feel free to find your way out. Was it the pirate Gator Gar who attacked Port Royal? And was it a scarlet fever outbreak? Piper demanded. Art rubbed his chin thoughtfully. Well, I, twas the pirate Gator Gar, or the Capitan, as the Strumpets call him, who attacked. And nay, that was no scarlet fever outbreak. Twas Gator Gar's killings and begging your pardon, acting lieutenant governor. Your men are what we in the shipping industry refer to as ballast. The Whigs seemed perplexed. Dead weight, Art burped. Did you see him yourself? Mould queried. McCaskill took the rum bottle. We both saw him, and it was him. He attacked us and fled. Then you've seen him before, Mould said. Where did you last see him? Art flinched and repositioned his arm. Turning towards the old church, the doctor took another shot. From there, he could have turned anywhere. What was his intended target, Mould continued. Art gave a carefree wave. Maybe he just didn't like what we've done with the clubhouse. Maybe he prefers a more Jacobian motif, the doctor suggested. Mould scratched beneath his wig. Could he still be in the city? That's my question. Maybe. Art now felt pretty much numb from the neck down. You know, if I was acting lieutenant governor, I'd be declaring martial law right about now. I told you before you'd make an excellent acting lieutenant governor. I'd vote for you on a heartbeat. McCaskill gestured with a raised thumb. The inebriated pair burst into hysterics, relishing Piper's contempt. They halted suddenly, clutching at their wounds. Art yawned. Now, if you'll excuse us, I'm bloody tired. Wake me in the morrow. The bird is pecking your man's head, observed Talier. McCaskill observed Cupid and Scarcliffe. Aye, around here, he's head pecker. Art passed out on the sofa, head lolling to one side. Must be delayed shock. It's a recent diagnosis, McCaskill said. Well, if you'll excuse us, we've had a trying night. Gator Gar is long gone. Do let us know if it turns up, won't you? Now, bugger off, begging your pardon, the lot of you. Piper, Mould, and Tellier shuffled to the door. We'll show ourselves out, Piper huffed. Good luck with the capture of Gator Gar, acting lieutenant governor, the doctor said. Oh, Gator Gar won't get far, I can assure you. Piper slammed the door to the Inferno Room. Art's eyes suddenly sprang open. It has a nice ring. Gator Gar won't get far. He scribbled on a bit of parchment. Oh, by all means, stop to write a love sonnet. We got lots of time, McCaskill said. Scarcliffe pushed Cupid off his head. Why does he do that? He's pecking the lice, so leave him be, McCaskill replied. You still living in that dump over by the fish market? Art addressed Scarcliffe. Aye, but I told him if he fixes it, he can live at the clubhouse or the loft, the doctor added. Good idea. Move in there with Blackmore and fix it up, Art agreed. Right then, oh great leader of men, what are we doing about Gator Gar and the pikey? Surely you're not going to let the Whigs find them. That's exactly what I'm going to do, Art mused. It'll keep them busy for a while. Gator gar is long gone, anyway. There's that echo again. McCaskill held his hand up to his ear.
0: We hope you enjoyed listening to this excerpt from No Quarter Dominium, Volume 4. If you would like to hear the entire audiobook, it can be purchased at Amazon.com, Audible.com, and iTunes.com.